Good evening, everyone. All right. Hi, my name is Olivia Allen, and we're going to get started. Okay, guys? I'm actually very thankful to be the campus coordinator here at Glasgow Evangelical Church, and I want to start off the night by giving you all a warm welcome. Um, seriously, a warm, better yet, extremely toasty welcome as you've all endured the cold to join us this evening as we bring out the good news of Christ. Speaking of enduring the cold, I've now lived here a year and a half. I moved from Nashville, Tennessee, and before that, I was stationed in good old Georgia. So when I say it's cold tonight, I know you guys are like, oh, I'm sweaty, it's hot. I don't do cold. So I gotta tell you, this negative 30 weather stuff that you guys have is crazy to me. It's like what fiction is made of to me as a Southerner. I remember reading zero on my car's thermostat for the very first time and thinking, I didn't know it could do that. And then I had a friend who said, that's nothing, and I soon learned that they were absolutely right. Thank you, Jory, you warned me, okay? As a Southerner, sometimes I picture God saying, uh, people aren't gonna live there. Oh my gosh, people are living there, but here we are. However, there's something I've learned from you strong Montanans. All right, here you go. There's no bad weather, just bad clothing choices. Anyone heard that? All right, I still wear my holy jeans and just deal with it. It's only my knees that are cold, but. However, um, a Southern strong thing might be combat the humidity and not melt your face off. So that's my stuff, so. Which brings me to a fun fact. Guys, I had a double-sided fireplace when I lived in Georgia. Do you hear that, double-sided? That is excessive. A single-sided fireplace might be excessive in Southern Georgia, so. It sure did look nice at Christmas time, though. Growing up, I actually didn't have a fireplace. So here's what my parents did to get real creative and crafty, because you have to let Santa in somehow. We had a, drum roll please, a Santa key. Yes, magical key only Santa could use, but didn't have a fireplace. But can't you just picture it though, stockings on a fireplace, just open and ready to receive? Thankfully, we get to receive Christ in the season. Um, sometimes the story of Santa teaches all about earning gifts. No one is moral or sweet enough to earn the gift of Christ. Keyword gift. So on the good list, great, God loves you. On the naughty, li naughty list, yep, God loves you too. So here we are tonight, ready to celebrate the amazing gift of Christ, a gift none of us have earned, but gladly receive. Before we move on any further with our tonight's performances, would you please join me in prayer? Dear Lord, we are so thankful to be here. Thank you for every sweet person who is in this room. Thank you for getting us here safely. Lord, we're so excited to celebrate this season and just turn our eyes and our hearts to you. Lord, I pray for everyone who's performing tonight. Give them peace as they come up on stage. Lord, be with everyone here tonight as you open their ears and their hearts to receive the things that you would have them to hear. Lord, we love you so much. Thank you for um, being willing to give your son to us um, so he could be the perfect sacrifice to wash away our sins. Lord, we love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, guys. Thank you. Let's begin. Oh, 
Emmanuel. The child prays for peace on earth. She's calling out from a sea of her. Oh, come, oh, come, Emmanuel. And can you? of a mother a baby's cry is the sound of love come down come down right now I'm sick of waiting 
You guys, we've talked about this. Your daddy is at work, working hard. Look at all these gifts under the tree. He's working hard. Can't we wait? I better get everything on my list. Me too. I better get the new job that all my friends have. Please, can we just open one? Just one, please. Here's the deal. I'll let you each open one, okay? One gift. We have to wait for your daddy to get home to do the rest of them, okay? We'll start with our youngest. So Macy, Aaliyah, and Natalie, why don't you each grab your gift right in front of you there. Okay, Macy, go ahead and open up yours first. It's your turn. Yes, it's the game I've been wanting. Sweet. All right, Natalie, your turn. Oh, this is the sweatshirt I wanted. Why did they get what they want? I didn't get what I want. Natalie, not on Christmas. Girls, I know that you're really excited for Christmas this year, but with your daddy gone, we just don't have a lot of money for presents. I'm sorry. It's all right, Mommy. We understand Christmas is more than gifts. It's Jesus' birthday! Pray, will you read us the story of Jesus' birth? Please. Okay, I'll read it one more time, but then we gotta go to bed. All right, Mommy. Gabriel was an angel. He obeyed God. Sometimes he took special news from God to people on earth. One day, God sent Gabriel to a young lady. Her name was Mary. Gabriel went to Mary. He said, greetings, God is with you. Mary was afraid. She wondered what he meant. But Gabriel said, do not be afraid. God loves you. He's going to give you a baby and you will name him Jesus. He will be God's son. Mary was surprised. How can this be true, she asked. Nothing is impossible with God, said Gabriel. I believe you, said Mary. I will do whatever God wants. Then Gabriel left. Now Mary loved a man named Joseph. They were going to get married. One day, Joseph had to take a trip to the city of Bethlehem, so Mary went with him. The city of Bethlehem was crowded. Many people had come there. Joseph and Mary looked for a place to stay, but there was no room in any house. All the beds were full. People were even sleeping on the floors. So Joseph and Mary had to stay in a stable where the donkeys and the horses stayed. That night, the baby was born. It was God's baby son. Mary and Joseph named him Jesus, just as the angel had told them to do. They wrapped him up so he would be warm. Mary made a soft bed for him in a manger. The baby Jesus slept there. Mary loved him, Joseph, Joseph loved him, and God loved him. Thank you, Mommy. Lila, before we go to bed, before we go to bed, will you say a prayer for us, please? Yes, Mommy. Dear Jesus, thank you for being the best the best gift ever, and thank, please help us to remember that all of our life, and thank you for sending your son to die on the cross. Amen. Amen. This is an important time of the year. 
we just want to remind you that the real reason for this season is Jesus.
Emmanuel, Emmanuel, a child is born, a child is born, sing glory unto God on high, joy to all the world this night, and to all people peace, and to all people peace. Remember him, O little star, remember him and shine. Around the world, in every heart, on this holy night, lead us to his light. A child is born, a child is born, sing glory unto God on high, a joy to all the world this night, and to all people peace, and to all people peace. Remember him, the angels sing, and do not be afraid into this world good news we bring love has overcome behold a son well emmanuel a child is born a child Emmanuel, sing glory unto God on high, a joy to all the world this night, and glory unto God on high, and joy to all the world this night, and to all people well, and to all people well, a child is born, a child is born. A joy unto God on high, a joy to all the world this night. Sing glory unto God on high, and joy to all the world this night. And to all people well, and to all people well. A child is well, a child is well. Sing glory unto God on high, a joy to all the world this night, and to all people peace, and to all people peace. I'm Carrie Weens, and about 10 months ago, Allie Greeno asked me to share tonight my faith journey, and she told me the theme was the silver bells, and I thought, well, I'm a bell, and I'm really silver underneath, so I could do this. So I said, sure I would, I'd be glad to share, and I had a little help from my friends. Uh, Doris and uh, Lorraine helped me along the way um, to help share what I was going to share. And so when um, I grew up, I grew up in Glasgow. I was raised here. I, I'm, we lived in Malta, and my dad came and built the mortuary here. And so I lived in Glasgow from kindergarten on. And I came from a family of six kids. Um, 
my mother said she had a child for every method of birth control. There were six kids in five years, six bells, but I was a twin, so that helped. Um, so just a ton of us um, living in Glasgow. But I'll tell you what, I loved Glasgow. I loved everything about it. It was just, uh, I was very naive about the world, and I was sheltered, and my parents, you know, loved us dearly and took care of us. And um, I, I just grew up with this hallmark attitude about Glasgow and about my life because I was going to grow up and I was going to have a career and I was going to get married and I was going to have children and everything was going to be so good and that was my hallmark goal in life and then when I was um, a freshman in college I went to Missoula my first year and in March of that year I made a decision I had been going to Young Life with Otto Zerbe and Maury Graham, and they were very influential in my life. And I had been raised in the church, and I had um, gone to Rainbow for Girls, which was wonderful because I learned scripture in Rainbow for Girls. So big parts of my life. But in March of that year, I'm just a very analytical person, and I studied the scripture, and I came to that scripture of Ephesians 2.8, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and that is of, not of yourselves, it is of, it is of the gift of God. So I just kind of figured it out, and I just turned over my life and thought, okay, for the rest of my life, Lord, you have me. I'm, I'm yours. And so I was then into Bozeman the next year, into nursing and transferred to Billings. And um, so I was a junior in college, and I met a man, and he was from Los Angeles, and um, he was there on a scholarship playing for Eastern Montana College. He played basketball. Uh, it's now MSU Bozeman, but the Yellow Jackets. And um, so from LA, and we met and fell in love, deeply in love, and dated for two years, and then we were married. And in the second year of our marriage, I was pregnant and eight months pregnant, and I went to work. I worked at the hospital all day, and about 3.30 in the afternoon, I got off, and I waited for my husband to come pick me up, and he didn't come, and I waited for two and a half hours and sat there. You know, we didn't have phones. Um, we didn't have big phones then. We didn't have anything. You had to go into the hospital and call. He finally picked me up, and he had fallen asleep and missed the phone call. And so anyway, that evening, we decided to go to the Metra and watch hockey matches, my husband and I and me being big and pregnant. And we went to the hockey match, and um, it was so entertaining, just great. Came out of the hockey match and got to my car, and we were surrounded by a SWAT team. My husband was taken away, went to jail, and arrested. My Hallmark life was gone. It was just totally gone. And I was just a weak soul and struggling. And so my husband was arrested for sexual assault on a minor, and it was a felony. And a month, my, two days later, my, I called my parents, and my dad came down and um, posted bond and tried to buy him out of the marriage, was going to give him a sum of money to have him leave the marriage. 
and um, and we chose not to do that. And um, he told me that it was very embarrassing for all my siblings that were working in Montana. And um, there's just a lot of things to struggle with and work with. But you know what? That grace that I talked to you about before, that's, that's what held me because I was very weak and struggling and, and that grace was just sufficient where my power is made perfect in weakness. And I held on to that grace by grace, but God by go I. So um, we had baby Christopher that year, and then he was sentenced to prison, and he went to Deer Lodge. And I became one of those Deer Lodge wives. I mean, I visited him in prison. I had a, a guy from the church that drove me there, and what, he took Christopher and I one time, too. And, you know, you sit across from the table. It's just like in the movies, exactly. And there's a guard there that has the guns and everything, and you can't touch each other. And it was surreal. Uh, but it was just part of the whole scenario. And um, during that time, the church reached out to me, and I stayed in a family's home, Barb and Jay Pritchard and Billings, in their basement bedroom with Christopher. And then another gal, she volunteered to babysit Christopher during the day so that I could continue working. And we were just blessed by so many people during that time. And time marched on, and it was this time of year. It was Thanksgiving, right after that my husband was released from prison and came home, and then his parents sent us tickets to fly to L.A. to be with them for Christmas. And we had the perfect opportunity to, you know, go see family, which we did, and we loaded up and went down there. And the last day of that vacation... He said, Carrie, would you look at something? I said, sure. On his leg, he had a black, cracked, bleeding mole. Oh, no. So we got back to Billings and got hold of the dermatologist and got it removed. And two days later, I got that phone call. Mrs. Alexander, your husband has malignant melanoma. And we had just gone through everything, and now this. And I'll tell you what, it was the grace of God that got me through every day. And he had a major surgery. They removed all 17 lymph nodes, took all the skin off of his leg, skin grafted from over here to this leg. And then we were sent to the University of Utah in Salt Lake to a melanoma program. But we were there for, you know, all these PET scans, tests and everything. And then for several days, and then we got the medication free. We were guinea pigs, but we got the medication free, and I could give it to him in the home. Because I was a nurse, so I was able to give him IV therapy in the home. So that worked out great. And in time, that June, he wanted to move to LA, and, and uh, he only had four credits left to finish his degree. And so, fair enough thought we would move to LA and um, we moved down there with uh, Christopher and by October of that year he grew a mass on his chest 
and we went in and had it biopsied and it was metastatic cancer. And so we had to go to a completely different treatment and we had to be in the hospital because that type of cancer, you couldn't give IV therapy at home. It was too caustic. Calcium went up, confusion went up, and we had to be in the hospital. So that began our stint with multiple hospital stays. And that was in October, and we just did not improve. I mean, you know, the numbers were not looking good. And we went through the fall, and then by December 16th of that year, I quit my job because I needed to be with him full-time in the hospital. My mom had come down for a long weekend. After Christmas, my sister came down, and then my dad came at the end of the month. On Christmas Eve, we took him home for a couple hours and, and to be with family, and then back into the hospital. And then on New Year's Day, my husband went to be with the Lord. And Christopher and I were left, and I really thought after he died, I thought, oh, you know, the Lord is going to raise him from the dead. I just knew he would, and he didn't. So my family, within minutes of my husband's death, got in cars and traveled all the way to L.A. to be with me and Christopher and go through the funeral process and then haul us back to Montana. And that's just the kind of family that I come from. And so, um, all this time, I had not really had time to work on forgiveness. And I just had gone from prison to life and death. And forgiveness was so, um, I thought it was just going to be so easy, you know, that I could just say, all right, I forgive. But it wasn't easy. Forgiveness takes a long time. It has taken me years and years to work on forgiveness. But, again, it's the grace of God that I was able to survive that. And then, um, that next year, I got a call from Richard Weens, and he asked me to go to the Fort Peck Summer Theater uh, the next day. I was in Stephen Vicky's backyard, and we were out in the sun, and da-da-da, and I just couldn't understand why Richard Weens would call me. I mean, I had a tainted past, and I had a child, and why would he choose me? And we went to the theater, and I insulted him so much. We got out of the car, and I said, I think I'm taller than you. And then we walked across the street and I said, here's some gum. <laughs> and I just don't understand why he ever asked me out again, but he did. And you know what, ladies, we were married 16 weeks after that date. Don't ever do that. <laughs> 16 weeks. It was such a short period of time. But we had Christopher. So Christopher and I married Richard. And we, it was tax season coming up. So either we get married now or we wait until after tax season. <laughs> And you know, so we got married, Christopher and I. And so then, you know, after we had um, more children, we had um, then Nathan, and four years after Christopher, he was four years apart. And then um, we had Jonathan, two more sons. And then we bought Sarah Ann. 
<laughs> so much fun. But we bought her, and she, all of our kids have been such a joy and such a testament for us of our lives. And we so, uh, you know, love our kids. But I'll tell you what. We love our kids, and I want them to think that we really love them. But their grandkids, they trump our kids. <laughs> and we have 11 of them now. So the grandkids are at the top of my list. So, and I was in uh, Houston two weeks ago at Grandparents' Day, and they had this scripture in the chapel that we went to with a, our granddaughter. Uh, and it was from Psalms, and it says, Even when I am old and gray, do not forsake me, my God, till I declare your power to the next generation, your mighty acts to all who are to come. And so I really feel like um, my journey now needs to be focused on my grandkids too as well. And so when I was preparing this talk, I called Christopher um, 10 days ago, and I asked him permission. Because so much of it, I never talked to him about it. I did not want him to grow up knowing what had happened to his father. But he found some probation papers at the age of 16, and then I had to explain it to him. And so now I just thought I'm not gonna I'm just not gonna share my story because I don't want him to ever be hurt. And I want him to go through, you know, adolescence. So I called him and I asked him, I said, Are you through adolescence? He said, I think I just went through puberty. And he's forty. <laughs> and he gave me the blessing. He said, Mom, just share share everything. It's okay to share it. And so that's why I shared it. But I didn't want to share at this time of year something that was um, sad, you know, I, I mean, all the things that we went through, I found out my husband was an alcoholic and everything, but it all happened at this time of year, everything we went through, and his, he died on New Year's Day, um, you know, then I was remarried on Thanksgiving weekend, and um, then I thought, but this is life, and we all have things that we're going through, and we've all lost. We've had an incredible loss in our family this year. We lost my brother Steve, and he was bigger than life. And for our family to just, we were just grieving over that. And I know all of you have some things that you're grieving about, and you've lost, and you've lost family. And so at Christmas time, we're supposed to be talking about good tidings and gladness and joy. And I think we can do that because it just proves to us that we need a Savior. We can't count on ourselves. We really do need a Savior. And so my um, message to you all is to go out and love people and spread the good news of our Savior during this holiday season. And we can celebrate his birth. And ladies, I just wish you all a Merry Christmas. Love incarnate, love divine, star and angels gave the sign, bow to babe on bended knee, the Savior of humanity. for 
of Jesus was bad news. It wasn't just your typical piece of bad news, it was the worst news ever. Maybe you're thinking right now, what in the world are you talking about? How could there be any better news than the coming of the Messiah to earth? Well, you need to understand that there are two parts of the Christmas story, and you need both parts to make proper sense out of the whole story. The part of the story that tends to get the big billing, and it should, is the amazing, miraculous narrative of God putting on human flesh and coming to earth in the form of a baby. How amazing it is to think that God lay in that manger. God was nursed by Mary. God grew up in Mary and Joseph's house. God walked the dusty streets of Palestine. God endured hunger, rejection, physical pain, injustice, and yes, even death. Remember, the miracle of Jesus' birth is that he was fully God and fully man. God gave himself to us in outrageous, redemptive love. God exposed himself to what we all face in this terrible, broken, and dysfunctional world. The story is so amazing, so beyond our normal categories for making sense of things, and so beautiful that it's hard to wrap the thoughts of your brain and the emotions of your heart around it. God has come to earth. Could there ever be better news than this? But there is a second part of the story that makes God's shocking work of intervention make sense. Why would God do such a thing? What would motivate him to go to such unthinkable extent? Whenever you see people do the unexpected or the unusual, it is natural to ask yourself why they thought that their radical action was necessary. This is where the Christmas story is the worst news ever. I'm going to ask you to humbly open your heart to the second part, the bad news part of the Christmas story. God has to invade our world in the person of Jesus because there was simply no other way. And why was there no other way? Prepare for the bad news. There was no other way because our big problem in life is not our family, or history, or society, or political, or relational, or financial, or our church. The biggest, darkest thing that all of us have to face, and that somehow, some way, influences everything we think, say, and do, isn't outside us, it's inside. If you had none of the above problems in your life, you would still be in grave danger. 
because of the danger you are to yourself. It is only if the only thing human beings needed were a little external tweaking of their life circumstances, then the coming of Jesus to earth wouldn't make any sense. But if the greatest danger to all of us lives inside us and not outside us, then the radical intervention of the incarnation of Jesus is our only hope. Sure, you can run from a bad relationship, you can quit a bad job, you can move from a dangerous neighborhood, and you can leave a dysfunctional church, but you have no ability whatsoever to escape yourself. You and I simply have no ability to rescue ourselves from the greatest danger in our lives. This means that without the birth of Jesus, we are doomed to be destroyed by the danger that lurks inside us from the moment of our first breath. You don't need to look far in the Bible to know that what this danger is. Its stain is on every page of Scripture. Romans 3.23 exposes this danger with a few simple words. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Sin is the bad news of the Christmas story. Jesus didn't come to earth to do a preaching tour or to hang out with us for a while. He came on a radical mission of moral rescue. He came to rescue us because he knew that we couldn't rescue ourselves. He knew that sin separates us from God and leaves us guilty before him. He knew that sin makes us active enemies against God and that God and what God says is good, right, and true. He knew that sin blinds us to the gravity of our condition and our dire need for help. He knew that sin causes us to replace worship of God with an unending catalog of created things that capture the deepest alliances of our hearts. He knew that sin renders all of us unable to live as we were designed to live. And he knew that sin was the final terminal disease that without help would kill us all. But the Christmas story tells us something more. It tells us that Jesus knew that even if we were aware of the great danger within us, in our own wisdom and strength, we could not help ourselves. To every human being, sin is the ultimate undefeatable enemy. It captures and controls us all, and there is nothing we can do. It is either the height of arrogance or the depth of delusion to think that you are okay. None of us is okay apart from the invasion of grace that is the core purpose for the coming of Jesus. Now, if you're like me, you have trouble believing this bad news. When you do something wrong, you probably try to blame it on stress or sickness, a bad boss, a troublesome spouse, a nerve-wracking child, or just the generic pressures of life. When others come to you to point out a wrong, your initial response is probably not to be thankful. If you're like me, you jump to your own defense because it's hard to believe that you're a sinner that they're describing. So I want to encourage you today in a fresh way to accept the bad news of the Christmas story because if you do, the good news becomes all the more comforting and glorious. The Christmas story tells you that you can be freed forever from denying or minimizing the danger that lives inside you because Jesus came to rescue you, forgive you, transform you, and ultimately to deliver you. The baby in the manger carried with him to earth everything that sinners need. It's only when you admit that need that you will be able to fully celebrate the solution that is Jesus.
So how do we respond to this bad news? Repentance, belief, and trust in Jesus. Then celebrate the good news with great joy, for our Savior is born.
Even though Silent Night is one of the most popular songs in history, the fact that we know it at all is a miracle. Created out of necessity and performed in a tiny village on a solitary Christmas Eve by two ordinary Austrians in a tiny choir, this incredibly beautiful and simple carol owes its debt to an organ <laughs> that wouldn't play and a priest who wouldn't hold mass without special music. In 1818, 25-year-old Joseph Moore was the assistant priest at St. Nicholas Church in Obendorf, Austria. During an extremely cold winter, Moore was making last-minute preparations for a special Christmas Eve mass, a service he'd been planning for months. And as he cleaned and readied the sanctuary, the priest encountered an unfathomable dilemma. St. Nicholas's organ would not play. A frantic Moore struggled with the old instrument for hours, making adjustments, fiddling with the keys, stops, pedals, even crawling behind the console to see if he could find the problem. In spite of his efforts, the organ remained silent, its voice as still as a dark winter's night. Realizing he could do nothing else, the priest paused and prayed for inspiration. He asked God to show him a way to bring music to his congregation on the year's most meaningful day of worship. Moore would find the answer to his prayer, born from events almost two years before St. Nicholas's organ played out. In 1816, Moore had written a Christmas poem, Six Unadorned Stanzas, inspired on a winter's walk from his grandfather's home to the church. It lacked a melody, and he had never shared it with anyone. Moore dug the poem, Still Lai Nacht, Heilige Nacht, from his desk and read over the words he had written two years before. Up until then, the verses hadn't meant that much to him, but as he saw them again, it was as if the Lord was tossing him a lifeline of hope. He shoved the worn paper into his coat pocket and rushed out into the night. Only hours before the Christmas Eve midnight mass, the priest fought his way through snow-covered streets. Franz Gruber was a 31-year-old schoolteacher and a modest musician who attended St. Nicholas's Church. And as he struggled to stay warm in his drafty apartment over the schoolhouse, he heard an insistent knock at the door. He must have been surprised to open it and find Father Moore on the other side. By that time, the priest should have been busy preparing for services, not visiting old friends. After a quick Merry Christmas, Father Moore pulled the teacher to a small table and explained the problem they faced. After he convinced Franz nothing could be done to fix the organ, Moore showed him his poem. Can you write music to these words that can be easily learned by our choir? Moore asked. Without the organ, I guess the song will have to be played on a guitar. The priest looked at the clock saying, please, Franz, the time is so short. Studying the poem, Franz nodded his head. He had a look in his eye and a smile on his face that let the priest know he was up to the challenge. 
confident again that God had a special plan for this night. Moore raced back across the snow to the church, leaving Gruber alone with his thoughts, a ticking clock, and a prayer of inspiration. A few hours later, the two friends met at St. Nicholas, and there, in a candlelit sanctuary, Gruber shared his new music with Moore. The priest approved. After learning the guitar chords, rushed it to the choir members, waiting to rehearse. What should have taken weeks was accomplished in hours. In the little time they had, Gruber and Moore taught the choir members the four-part harmonies to the last two lines of each verse. Just after midnight, Moore and Gruber stood in front of the main altar and introduced their simple little song as they sang they couldn't have guessed that Stille Nacht, Heilige Nacht, would be remembered not only the next Christmas in their small village, but almost 200 years later around the world. Despite its popularity, Silent Night remains in most minds what it was written to be, a simple, direct song of praise. Created to make a Christmas service more meaningful, it's as fresh today as it was that night at St. Nicholas's Church. As we hear the words, our thoughts return to another night when the world had seemingly gone dark, when hope had been silenced, when all of humanity's best efforts had come up short, a night when mankind received the greatest gift of all, a baby born to peasants laid in a simple manger, the Savior of the world, God with us, Jesus. Merry Christmas, everyone. You can blow out your candles and then come across the hall and have dessert with us and have some fun fellowship. Merry Christmas. 